Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. Using the breath as a place to anchor attention, uh, working with other body sensations that might be painful uh, with mindfulness, Uh, working with uh, emotions and moods, mind states, and also with uh, thoughts. So in the beginning of the retreat, we've privileged in some way the grounding with the breath and the body. And you can still use that as a place to anchor the attention. But it's also possible to practice once the collectedness or the concentration is a little bit stronger in a way where you're just knowing whatever the object is that is there in awareness. So what this means is that, yeah, maybe you'll start with the breath, but then there's a sound. You can know that and even note that as hearing. And then maybe what's predominant is, again, experience of breath. You can notice that, breathing in, breathing out. Then maybe you notice a thought. You could recognize that as thinking. Then maybe there's a different body sensation. You could recognize that for whatever that is, tingling, cold. Then maybe there's a sense of feeling the breath again. So in this way, there's kind of a kaleidoscopic noticing of whatever is predominant in experience with the kind of open awareness And in each case, recognizing that the objects themselves are uh, changing, they're appearing and disappearing, not according to your own script or not in your control. So there's a changing nature of all these uh, different experiences. If it ever becomes a bit overwhelming, feel ungrounded or uh, like get lost a lot in thinking again, you can come back to the experience of the breath as a place to collect, gather the attention, stay with that a little bit more, uh, strongly. And then if you feel like uh, ready to open up, then you could do that too. So it's all different skillful means in practice. And if it feels like it's helpful to still primarily stay with the breath, just notice when there's something else, and then really come back and use that as strongly as an anchor, that's also a very good practice too. So you can freestyle together.
just recognizing what you're aware of right now.
you can notice uh, how it is now for you after the ringing of the bell and if there's some way in which you suddenly feel much more relaxed. Uh, it's good to notice that because it could be that we're being like a little too tight during the sort of official meditation time. Uh, so you can see like what if I am able to be that relaxed during the practice too. I remember one of my teachers said um, once, you know, the, the level of relaxed and alert that we're going for is probably um, more than you would expect for either of those categories. So even the level of relaxed is like as relaxed as it might be uh, when you're about to fall asleep, the moment before sleep when there's like a real letting go of uh, holding in the body and letting go in the mind and kind of this falling backwards kind of thing. So the trick is to do that and not actually fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good to notice, you know, like, oh, how is it now? And before when I was, quote-unquote, practicing meditation, which means just sitting here breathing and then, you know, paying attention, uh, was there a way in which I was, like, trying too hard to do it right or something? Yeah. So we have a little time uh, for questions about your practice. And... Um, Let's, say, let's save questions that are about taking the practice home or practicing at home for uh, tomorrow. So for today, let's just stay in our last beautiful day of retreat together. And uh, first, I invite people who might not have asked a question uh, in the hall before, uh, if you have anything you want to ask. And it could be about the metta or uh, anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So a question, she changed it to be, may I be in my true nature? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, with metta, there's a way in which um, different words have different meanings for us. So if that feels like some version of well-wishing, which I think it does uh, for you, then yeah, that's great. You could use that for sure. Often it's, time, it's good to um, keep the phrases like fairly simple. That one is fairly simple, but sometimes people start making very complicated long ones and then um, it can be like a little too heady or something. But yeah, if it's pretty simple and it feels like a real heartfelt uh, wish for yourself, then that's great.
Right. Yeah, so there's the kind of tension between the relaxed and alert and kind of the energized and tranquil sides. And there's one uh, schema that it might be helpful to uh, mention, which is there's, um, you know, we're cultivating many different mental factors I had mentioned um, in this mental training. And one of the many different uh, articulations of this in the Buddhist teachings is about the seven factors of awakening. Uh, and that uh, we're cultivating mindfulness, but also several factors that are kind of um, stabilizing, tranquilizing factors of mind. So that includes uh, the concentration, uh, tranquility or calm, and equanimity. And then uh, we're also cultivating these kind of energizing factors, uh, and that includes like uh, energy or effort, uh, the factor of curiosity or investigation, um, and then, in fact, the factor of effort itself. So in some ways, a lot of our practice is this exploration of like what is right effort in meditation. And just like in one's life, if you're trying to find a balance, because everything is always changing, it's not like you can find one point and like plant a flag in it and be there forever. So in some ways, our entire practice is a practice of balancing, right? So the metaphor is given some like surfing, you know, like different waves and then you tip this way and that way. and you know, So it's a, like a dynamic process. Right? So uh, during a, a moment when, for example, um, there's a pain that comes up in the body, uh, yeah, it's very normal that then there would be a contraction around that. I'll just say, though, that it's possible if there was not an identification in that moment with the, the strong, unpleasant physical sensation, also known as pain, <laughs> Uh, then it actually would be possible to be like somewhat relaxed and even concentrated with that uh, in this similar state. Right? And it's very, it's unusual. It seems strange to think like, wow, could I be you know, so relaxed that almost like that before falling asleep state when there's something intense going on, right? So maybe it's referring also to this, um, yeah, kind of an attitude of mind that might feel different depending on what's happening, Because actually, if, for example, you're trying to fall asleep and you have some intense pain, you probably won't fall asleep. Like, so that moment of full relaxation won't come in that way. Um, But as we we practice, and you might even have moments of that with the posture, with a pain or something, where there are moments in which um, we're not identified with it. It's not like me or mine. It's just something coming and going. And so then it's possible for it to be like quite okay in some way, even though it's intense. Um, so then the mind can be kind of spacious, open, and even uh, relaxed uh, with that too. But it's true along the way that it facilitates um, the steadiness of the mind to have steadiness of the body. And so then we do put some energy into the posture, you know, maintaining some alertness of the posture. But we're kind of talking about that, those balancing uh, wings in some way. Uh, back. Yeah. In regard to this calmness, um, sorry, it's kind of happening right now when I was trying to ask about. So when I sit versus am mindful in other times, I, I hit a, I often hit a serenity that's like so intense it almost feels like a drug, and it makes it so that. Mm-hmm. 
started to feel, in some ways, I see the connection between this state and living life um, and how it enhances how present I am and calm in other times. But in another way, it feels it's such a distinct kind of intense serenity that it, it feels like it would be impossible to move. And I'm like, I'm doing it now. I'm speaking sort of from this space, but it feels sort of odd, too. Yeah. Yeah, um, so it's true that in the seated posture, because of the stillness of the body, um, it can orient us to um, deepening the factors of calm, um, particularly concentration, like those stabilizing factors, um, more than when we're in motion. Although you can also have very deep experiences of concentration in motion, and um, a distinction in this uh, tradition sometimes is about like... Uh, I think it's kanika samadhi, isn't it called? Like with the sort of moment deep concentration on this and then this and then this and then this, sort of, you know, as opposed to like a sort of sinking in, right? Uh, and there sometimes are debates within Vipassana schools about, you know, what's useful or better or this or that. In meditation in general, you know, there are types of meditation that orient towards developing a great stillness and tranquility during your official meditation, but then not much else outside. In this kind of practice, the idea is that both that cultivation of that um, quality, like you're saying, can inform then your moving around and so on. Also, though, that the development of that stability and um, even the euphoria, joy is also one of those factors, energizing factors, I don't know if I mentioned that, is that... um, that can help you have the balanced mind that can have insight. And it's actually this insight which is liberating. Because the state of concentration also comes and goes. You know, that's impermanent like anything. The state of this euphoria comes and goes. Like you can't stay in that forever, right? As you recognize, right? Uh, so when you go to the grocery store, you drive your car, unlikely to be there in the same way, right? Um, so when you're sitting with it, um, there's kind of different approaches to that. One is that you could actually um, try and bring some little bit of investigation to. So this is one of the balancing factors on the energizing side. Um, to be interested in this. Like feel what it feels like fully, fully. Right? Allow yourself to sink in, but also um, don't, don't go totally like um, uh, zoned out with it. Yeah. So among the ways to do that is kind of feel like, okay, what's the kind of like outskirts of this. What does it actually feel like? Be with the sensations of it, of the body. Uh, Yeah, so you can ask yourself this while you're in this, you know, not not with the answer being verbal, but with the answer being with awareness, you know, knowing this. What's it like in the mind? What's it like in the body? Uh, Is there any way in which it's changing? Is it expanding? Is it contracting? Um, then even you could sort of inquire with awareness, like, is there anything that's still a little bit jangly, right? So uh, the depths of states of concentration are one of the things that Buddha said, like, there's actually no end to them. 
Uh, and there are different kind of levels that are um, understood of like uh, deeper levels that have certain characteristics. So even if it's the deepest state that you've ever experienced, this is not to say like be dissatisfied with it, but in a sort of investigative way, you can kind of be curious like, uh, okay, what else is here in this way? But it's very good for the system to know this. It's, it's kind of what I was saying in the talk yesterday. It's kind of like happiness and sparks of happiness come together when you know, we're finally not distracted as we usually are. So, uh, so it also is okay to enjoy it, but also good to keep like a little bit of interest in the whole thing and notice that as uh, also not yourself, right? And, and notice the impermanence and get curious about the edges of it in some way. Then I realized I was more outside of myself than focusing on who is listening. So I was wondering what you had to say about that. So a question about listening to sounds. Uh, Yeah, even this question of like what is outside and inside is an interesting one, you know, distinction, like what we uh, perceive to be external versus internal, right? So you could notice if it seems like, okay, there's sounds and then there's a leaning in some way. Like, what is that like? Because even the perception of it or the leaning could be perceived as internal, right? And there's a way in which um, the arising of the sound uh, comes at the same time as the awareness. So there's sort of internal, external meet in that experience, too. Uh, So there can be... um, there can be a sense of more spaciousness with listening to sound, and it's also a, something you can use as an anchor field sometimes, as it, maybe you were doing, in which case you're kind of resting and hearing the whole field of hearing and then noticing the coming and going of different sounds. And in that, you could notice even the way in which the mind might um, preference or dislike certain ones, right? Like there's sort of a wobbliness, and then feel the wobbly, you know, like feel what the wobbly feels like. That's like aversion, desire, you know craving stuff happening in some way. So yeah, it's a good place to explore. Like, is there such a thing as internal and external? You know, um, even in the walking practice, you know, there's a way in which we have a sense of like moving through space. Like there's this external space and there's this me who's moving through that. But that too is like a constructed illusion in a certain way. Uh, meaning like there's a visual experience of that's changing, you know, that looks like wall getting closer, you know, something like that. And then there's a physical experience of motion, uh, and then maybe some experience of sound, and then kind of compositing them all together, we have this idea of space existing. Um, But there's also a way in which maybe it doesn't, except as a composite thing, or not thing, yeah. So, and this is true of everything, that we call things in some way, like all sounds and experiences. And um, the metaphor that is maybe easiest to recognize with it is like the rainbow, you know, like so that you could see a rainbow and um, in some ways it exists, right? Like there's a rainbow, but you also can't get it or grasp it because uh, it, it's a phenomenon that arises because of particular conditions 
right, of moisture, of sun, um, like various natural conditions. And so then it shows up because of those conditions, but when those conditions cease, then it's gone. Uh, and this is actually true of everything in our experiential world, uh, including ourself, including sounds, including, uh, yeah, everything. And most of which appears to us to be more solid than a rainbow, but, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of geological time, it's all not, <laughs> I can say. So, so um, I should uh, stop now. Um, you might have noticed a new sheet going up about the schedule. It's really not that new. The only thing it says is that at 2.15, we're going to have some announcements um, regarding the uh, wrapping up. So everyone please attend. But I think everyone has been attending anyway, so <laughs> it's maybe not, not that new. And yeah, please just stay in the practice for this morning that we have full morning of um, yeah, shifting to the walking, just enjoying being connected to the body, uh, noticing what there is to notice. Uh, if you notice your mind going to some imagined future, yeah, bring it back again. There'll be time enough to clock into work or worry about your problems uh, when you go home. So yeah, let yourself be here as best you can while you're here. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.